So as you know, I'm Johnny Levy, uh, one of the teaching elders here, and I will be preaching out of the ESV today. Uh, quick review, uh, last week uh, Brian preached uh, and he, uh, he taught us on casting down our idols, right? And so if you remember, that's a, that, that was the section that we were on. Um, and the purification, you know, Jacob was purifying, purifying himself, and the people were purifying themselves, and they got rid of their idols. Uh, and then there was some application for us on that that I hope was, uh, was useful uh, in, in doing some, some self-introspection and things like that. Uh, and then uh, we're going to flow, uh, flow from that today. You know, we're going to be talking about Joseph, and this is the first, uh, the first mention of, uh, you know, kind of the epic of Joseph that we're going to get into. And, uh, and we are going to be dealing, I'm going to be touching a little bit on, on a particular idol today. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm calling it the idol of American Christianity. And the way that I would put it, and we're going to, I'm going to qualify that a little bit because obviously it's not like there aren't real Christians in America. Um, but there are actually some, I think, preconceived notions that are, that are specific to our culture and how we approach Christianity um, that are detrimental to the church. And so we're going we're gonna to deal with that in the midst of some other things. Uh, and if I, was to, if I was to sum up where we're heading, um, God gives us a promise, or God gives us promises. And then we enter into a process that leads to perfection. Now, when I say perfection, I know it probably puts the hairs up on the back of your neck. And I mean perfection in the biblical sense, which we'll get into that. Perfection in the biblical sense is different than probably what most of us think when we hear the word perfection. So we're going to get into that. So, so keep, it, keep those three Ps in mind. I'm always happy when, when the Lord allows me to come up with something clever. <laughs> so uh, we've got three Ps today. Promise, process, and perfection. All right, let me hear you say it. Say it. Promise. Amen, amen. All right, and then a scripture to kind of just get, a, get the heart pumping a little bit. Uh, and this scripture is Acts chapter 14, 19 through 22. So this will tie in later, but I'm going to start up front with it. And this is right after Paul gets stoned. So if you remember, and, and I mean stoned in the not fun sense, right? Um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I'm going to get an email about that one later, okay? Uh, so <laughs> uh, you know, Paul, Paul got you know, stoned, left for dead. Right, y'all remember this in Acts, stoned, left for dead, gets up, dusts himself off, keeps on preaching. And uh, it says, right after he got stoned, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Say strengthening. Strengthening. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So I want you to really just, uh, just, just hone in on that must, right? It says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Um, now, does that sound like the, the brand of Christianity that you were taught? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. So, uh, so starting in Genesis chapter 37. So the text is the, is the full chapter of Genesis 37 today. And, uh, and I'm just going to start reading, and then we'll stop and, and do some commentary. So... Uh, Verse 1, so again, Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So we're setting up the entire scenario here, right? Uh, the first thing we've got is, you know, back in the days, what we would call that is snitching, right? So, so you know, there's like, like in, in my neighborhood, there wasn't anything worse you could be than a snitch, right? I mean, that'll make people hate you really fast. Snitches get stitches, right? Uh, see, I, exactly. And I still live, no, anyway, so, 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 <laughs> so, so, so we see that Joseph has this kind of special relationship with his dad. We see that Joseph brought a bad report back and that obviously this is a part of what's creating this environment that we're going to see gets more and more toxic as we go. Um, and then to contribute to that, it's just evident to everyone that Jacob loves Joseph more than he loves everyone else, right? And so it's just kind of, it's kind of creating this, um, this tension. Uh, and everybody sees that. And on, on some sense, it's a public thing, right? Because it says that, that his brothers hated him and could not speak peaceably to him or could not speak peacefully to him. So jo at least Joseph was aware that they felt this way because of the way that his brothers would speak to him. Amen? Amen. Now, now not, not, not great. Now on into uh, verse five. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves, guys, gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So let's talk about, so, so this word dream can mean a normal dream, right? Just like any dream that you have, a random dream. It can also mean a prophetic dream. Yes, and in the scriptures, every time prior to this that the word dream is mentioned, it's a prophetic dream, okay? And this is a family that has been built, right? You, you remember, you remember uh, Jacob's Ladder, I got to preach on that. It was a dream, it was a vision, and yet it was this very significant thing that God communicated to Jacob through a dream. So these people were not strangers to the idea of a dream being a prophecy of what would happen, and that's exactly how they react to it, right? They react to it, not as if it's like him just sharing information, like I had this cool random dream, isn't it silly? No, they're saying, well, so you think you're going to rule over us, and that's obviously the intention in which, uh, in which he shares it, right? This idea that, Man, I think I'm going to end up ruling over you guys. I think you guys are going to be bowing down to me, you know? And, and, and so, so do you like me now? <laughs> can, we, can we be friends now? Uh, and so obviously, you know, we can look at that and we can say, well, that, that just, that doesn't seem wise, but I'm really not going to preach a sermon on, on the wisdom of holding your tongue. There's a lot more here. This is a prophetic word, right? And, th and this is confirmed later on that what Joseph is speaking is a prophetic word. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. And I'm, I'm sure they're just like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> What's this one? <laughs> Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And the brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. 
And so once again, we have this, uh, uh, this other prophetic utterance that he's giving. But now it's like his dad is like, oh, you want to come at me like that? And he rebukes him for it. Because obviously, right, we can see by the, by the context here, this is obviously a statement, um, a positional statement of, of, of how Joseph thinks things are going to end up. Now, on some sense, I'm going to be dealing with these words as a promise because, uh, because these are a promise, and they're actually spoken of in Scripture as a promise to, that was given to Joseph, right? So, uh, and I'll show you that, that text in a moment. But I want you to kind of pay attention to Joseph's posture, right? Because you get the sense. Like, again, we've got a Joseph. Joseph you know, snitches on his brothers. You know, his dad gives him this special coat. Like, he's kind of the golden boy. He knows everybody hates him because they can't speak peacefully to him. So he knows they hate him. And then he takes the extra step of saying, well, yeah, I know you hate me, but guess what? You're going to bow down to me one day, Right? And then, and then confirms it with another dream. And so there is a sense in which it's like, he, it, you know, this is, this is kind of cool to him, right? Um, and again, I'm not casting any judgment on him. I'm saying there's, there's a promise that has come. And, and at this point, I think it's fair for us to say he has no understanding of what it's going to cost, right? It's just a cool, it's a, it's a cool thing. He's, he's going to be the man and you know, and he, he communicates that, and that what the response it elicits from the people around him is, you know, they despise him, and he gets rebuked, and he's hated. Now, uh, now we're going to keep, uh, kind of continue, but there's, there's, there's much to say on, on this. There's much to say about this posture. There's much to say about getting a word from God, and, and then what it takes for that word to actually be carried out in your life, and so that's what we're going to get into. So moving on to verse 12, now his brothers went to pasture and their father, uh, to their, uh, start over. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So a quick side note here, and I have this question. I don't actually know the, know the answer to this fully. I'm going to give maybe some, I'm going to give some, uh, some opinions why does Jacob send Joseph knowing the hatred? You know, it, it kind of seems like Jacob is oblivious to the fact that he's really singled Joseph out. He's, he's, he's made Joseph, a, a, he's contributed to making Joseph a hated person in the family. And then it's like, hey, why don't you go, just go way far away out into the field with those guys <laughs> where no one can see. You know, so there, there is a sense in which, but it could be, right? It could be that to some degree, Jacob is preparing Joseph, right? Because if you remember, uh, Reuben, you know, Reuben's the firstborn, but Reuben went and did something that was detestable in the eyes of his father, if you remember, right? We go back, back a, few, a few weeks or so. And, and so, really, if you're looking at this objectively, the person who's, who's the prime candidate to receive the inheritance is probably Joseph at this point, right? And so, some people say that the coat is kind of a symbol of that. You know, I don't, it doesn't necessarily matter if that's technically true or not. At the very least, we see Joseph being exalted above his brother's. Right? And so there could be some sense in which Jacob's just like, look, man, you're going to have to man up. 
If you're going to be the man, if you're going to be the guy, if you're going to be, you know, be the inheritor of all these things, you're going to have to learn how to deal with these guys. So go out there. This is a part of your, a part of your education. Could be, right? Could be that he was just completely oblivious and just didn't know, right? That, that, that it sometimes happens with parents that, they don't, that they're not aware of what's going on with their children. Or he could have just wanted him to snitch some more. That could be it too. I need some more snitching, Joseph. <laughs> right, so... Uh, so, so anyway, Joseph, gets, Joseph rolls out, then he gets lost. <laughs> so that's fun. Uh, and then some guy has to tell him, some ran, rando has to be like, well, what? <laughs> what's going on? Why are you wandering around in the field? Well, I can't find my brothers. Oh, they're over here. Okay. So now we get into things start to thicken. Uh, the, the plot thickens here. So uh, verse 18, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Can you just hear it? Like the sarcasm? This, this text is thousands of years old, but human nature is the same, isn't it? Like, oh, here comes this dreamer. Can you hear it? The menace, right? The hatred. You know, these guys have just been together just ruminating on and just, just indulging in their hatred of this person. Like, did you hear what Joseph said? Can you believe this guy? And, right, and so what it yields is what the Lord Jesus said it yields, right? Hatred yields murder, right? And so now there's murder happening in their hearts. And, and also they're about to, they want to execute it. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That, and he said this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. All right, so we see this, uh, this cauldron of hatred bubble, bubbling over into violence, into murderous intent. And then unexpectedly, right, we see Reuben. And, and Reuben is a person, we, we've heard of Reuben. We keep hearing about Reuben. And most of what we hear about Reuben is shady, right? Like most of what he does is shysty stuff, right? Um, and he's going to, next chapter, he's going to do more shysty stuff. And uh, so Reuben doesn't seem to be a person with great judgment or great character. And yet, for some reason, he steps up here. He's the oldest, right? He's, he's the oldest. He's setting the tone. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and we also can consider that he's been throwing these things around with everybody. He's been involved in just the, the, the hatred and the gossip and all those things. Um, but he's like, oh, okay, well, let's not go that far. <laughs> let's not go that far, right? And so like, like, hold up, put him in the pit. And you know, there, there is this implication like, well, let's put him in the pit and let the pit kill him, right? Let's not us do it, you know? But we know that in his, in his heart, his intention was to go back and to rescue, right? And I don't know what that says about his intentions. It was a good act. And so praise God for that. Now, were, were his intentions that he knows he blew it with his dad and maybe he wants to get back in his good graces? We don't know, right? The heart is, you know, it's impossible to know the heart. The heart is deep. But he does, he does good. He does a good thing here, um, relatively speaking, because he's still a part of taking this young man who's 17 years old, stripping off his robe, right, that his dad has given him, and then throwing him into an empty cistern. Um, which, uh, you know, is you know, a, a horrifying thing. Now, I will say there's little moments where this, starts to, where this story points to Christ, and I'm going to tie this in at the end. Um, but this is an area, right? Didn't, didn't something happen with Jesus in a robe, right? 
Didn't something happen? Didn't Jesus have a robe and it was, it was uh, uh, you know, put on him as a mockery and then later it was taken from him and then they cast lots for it. You remember that? Um, and so, so, you know, just, just little, little tiny shadows of, of things to come and there are more of those in the text. So moving on, verse 25. Then they all sat down to eat, right? So, I mean, the, these dudes are brutal, <laughs> Like, there's Joseph screaming in a pit, and these, these dudes are, are sitting down to eat morning brunch or whatever, right? Like, brutal. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, see, now Judah's another, another player in the story who actually becomes significant later. So here comes Judah. He's saying, what profit is it if we kill our brother? So obviously they're still thinking about killing him, even though uh, Reuben says, nah, let's not do that. They're still thinking about, uh, they're still thinking about it. They're still ruminating on it. What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, right, and the brothers, that's referring to the brothers, the brothers drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So again, another, another foreshadowing, if you will, of Christ. We have, we have him um, taken by the people that are supposed, his family, right, his kin that are supposed to be looking out for him. And they, they sell him. He's sold for 20 shekels. Now, with, uh, with Judas, right, I mean, that's what it brings to mind immediately for me is Judas, right, one of Jesus' trusted disciples, sells him, right, sells him to the Pharisees to be, uh, to be crucified. Um, but then moving on, now, now as this is happening, I want, I want to paint the picture for you of what's happening. You know, Joseph has just been thrown into a pit. He's 17, right? He's been thrown into a pit. Um, and, and, and we know... You can imagine the, the screaming and the crying and the begging, but it, it literally says that that was happening. If you skip ahead, I'm going to give you a quick, uh, quick glimpse into Genesis 42, 21, because this is when those brothers start to reap consequences for, for this. And they immediately tie it to this, right? So later on, and I won't get too far into it, but later on, you know, Jacob's in power, and they need some things from Egypt, and they, they meet, or sorry, Joseph, they meet Joseph, but they don't recognize Joseph. And he begins to deal harshly with them. And they immediately, as this is happening, this is what they say. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So later, right, they're referring back to this moment when, when Joseph is distressed, he's beside himself, right? He's begging them not to do this thing. And, 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 and heartlessly, they just, they, just, they just yank him out of the pit and they sell him off never to be, right? Like in their minds, never to be seen again. Um, which, which, is a, which is a type, right? There is a type of death happening here, right? It's, a, there's, it's like a, it's a tomb, right? He's thrown into this pit um, and then he's drawn out and then these other things happen. So I've got an, a, a, one other place that gives commentary on, on this particular verse and it's in the Psalms. And so we're going to make a, a, connection, a quick connection here too. Psalm 105, 16 through 19, you don't have to turn there. It says, when God summoned a famine on the land, right? This is the psalmist speaking. When God, when, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them. 
Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said come to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. There's a lot here, right? So, so what we know now, it's like these, these different parts of the picture, right? It's not just that he's screaming and crying not to be sold. It's not just a feeling of betrayal. It's that now he has a thing around his neck, right? He has, he has the shackles around his wrists and the collar around his neck, and he's being hurt by these things, right? It's, the, it's, it's showing the pain that he endured um, pursuant to this happening to him. And then... This very interesting verse, until what he had said come to pass, right? Until what Joseph had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him, right? See, see, see what Joseph spoke was the word of the Lord. You understand? What he spoke in that moment, regardless of, of his intent, was God's truth. God did intend for his brothers and his father and his mother one day to bow down to him. Amen? That's God's word. It was his truth that that man spoke. But that truth tested him. We're about to watch the process of Joseph being tested by the truth that he spoke, right? And when he spoke it, he had no idea of the implications of what he was saying. He had no idea that, that for him to say, yes, one day, you guys, I'm going to be your boss. You're going to bow down to me. I'm going to rule. But, but did he know that it meant a collar around his neck and shackles on his wrists and being brought into a place of total humility and terror and then being falsely accused and then having his life constantly in danger and going through the worst experience imaginable to get to that place? See, that's the thing that so often I think we don't want to think about, right? Because there's, there's the promise and then there's the process, right? There's the promise and the process. So when it says, until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him, what does that word tested mean? That word tested means refined. It means smelted. Right? I don't even know what smelting is. Anybody here a blacksmith? Smelting is like melting. It sounds like melting. <laughs> right? right? It's, you're purifying metal, right? Um, it's, it's, it's something that happens with intense feet. So this idea of refining is what it means, that until it was time for this word to come to pass, he was refined. He had to go through a process. And so there's a tension between the promise and the process, right? There's a tension because we all in this room have promises of who God says we are and what God says he's going to do with us and for us and through us and to us, right? We have these promises, and they are precious. And there is also a process that is necessary for the promise to be fulfilled. Amen? Amen. And so you don't get to have the promise and not the process. And so when I'm saying I'm making commentaries on American Christianity, so much of what we see is that we want the promises but not the process, right? We think that we can have the promises and not the process. And so I'm, I'm here to, 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 to make a tie or a connection between what we get to watch Joseph go through and then it helps us to understand what we go through, right? Because how many of us, when we got saved, it was just like, hey, man, if you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be great, right? Everything's going to be fine. And then you begin to endure things and you're like, wait a minute, this is not fine. It maybe would have been better if I hadn't come to Christ, right? 
And so you weren't prepared to know that there's a process that comes with the promise. And so then we see it coming, we see it knocking, and we don't recognize it because we weren't prepared for that. Because there's, there's, there's a form of Christianity that we've kind of bought into in our culture that's just all the benefits, none of the costs. And that's not, that's not Christianity, right? Like, that's not real Christianity. And so moving on, right, keep continuing to tie this back, that first, that first verse I read, and, and Paul says, he's going through the, he's going around, he's strengthening the souls of the disciples, right? This is at a time of intense persecution for the church. And so he's going around and he's strengthening them. Now, how does he strengthen them? By saying, hey, believe in this name, everything's going to be easy. That doesn't make strong churches, that doesn't make strong disciples, right? He says, he encourages them to continue in the faith, and then he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Not optional, right? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Now, is that scary to anybody? I've read that it's made me uncomfortable, right? It, it makes us uncomfortable. But part of the reason it makes us uncomfortable is because you know, we live in a place, in a society of comfort. You know, comfort's important to us. You know, comfort, comfort seems essential to us. It, it seems that we're entitled to a certain level of comfort, right? That's what we feel. Even if, and, it, and I'm not blaming you, it's the air we breathe, man. Since we were born, we've been fed this kind of consumerist dogma uh, of what life is supposed to be like and what you're supposed to go through and endure and, and have as an American, the problem is a lot of it's contrary to what you're promised through Scripture, right? And there's a lot of hope with this. I'm not going to leave you without hope. I'm not going to leave you with just tribulation and no hope. But in case that's the gospel that was preached to you, say these words and it's going to be easy, smooth sailing for the rest of your life. I want to tell you, no, it is through tribulation that we must enter the kingdom. I want you to hear it from me. It is through tribulation that we must enter the kingdom so that we can be a strong church. Amen? Amen? So that we can be strong disciples. So that we can be disciples. So that when it's my turn to go to bat and the Lord puts the circumstance on my plate that I don't want to touch and that causes me to have to sacrifice and that takes from me or that touches the things that are most precious to me. If the Lord touches those things, then I will have been prepared to understand that that's part of the process. I got the promise, but this is part of the process. And it's like when the stranger comes knocking and I'm, I'm like, okay, I recognize you, right? By the grace of God, I'm not just saying knowledge. It's not just knowledge. It's gonna require grace and power, but the knowledge uh, is there to know, help us to know what to ask for and what to pray for, right? The knowledge is there for us to be aware so that we can begin to pray in accordance with knowledge. Amen? Yes, Y'all with me? Yes, sir. Okay, so moving on. When Reuben returned to the pit, so this is uh, verse 29 now. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes, right? So this, this, um, this gesture of extreme grief, right? He tears his clothes and returns to his brothers and said, The boy is gone and where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. 
and he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And so what we get to see now is the wages of sin, right? We get to see the, the grief and the pain that is caused by, by sin, by the murderous intentions of his brothers. And, uh, and, and, and now we get to see Jacob just completely wrecked and ruined and devastated over the death of his son who he loved more than anything, right? Um, and so you've got this moment where Reuben says, the boy is gone. He comes like, what did you do, right? Like, what did you do? He's gone. And where shall I go? Now, now what you get the, sen- you get the sense that Reuben understands that he's, he's in charge to some degree, right? Like there's a responsibility and a complicity for this that he recognizes, right? Like what, what's going to happen to me now that this happened on my watch? Um, and, then, and then they all have to watch right? Like I'm sure how, 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 fun it, how fun it sounded to them to just not have to hear this guy's dreams anymore, right? Like to finally give him what's coming to him. And now they've got to watch their father just completely devastated in front of them. And then they try to comfort him and no one can comfort him because they've destroyed him, right? And now they've got to live with that. And you're going to see that as callous as they seem, right? Like as hard as these men seem, this thing eats at them, it eats at them, and you're going to see later on in the story where, where they're going to have to reckon with this all the way, right? So what we've got here in, uh, in, in getting, getting towards the close and the application, we've got Joseph as, a ty- as two types here. So I'm going I'm to explore him as two types. One is a type of Christ, right? You know, that... that that he is, he is betrayed, right, by his kinfolk. He's, he's betrayed. He's sold, right? He, enter in, he enters into this type of death, right, which is going into a tomb, going into this cave, going to this dark place, right? Uh, at death, I would say death and burial we see. And then we see this idea of resurrection, right? He's spared. He's spared somehow, right? They, they, they had intent to kill him. They wanted to kill him. He's spared, and, uh, and, 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 then, and then a process occurs, and then salvation, right? He ends up becoming the vehicle of salvation for the very people that did this to him. Now, tell me you don't see Jesus Christ in that. The scripture is just so full of Christ everywhere. In Genesis, I see it more than like, I'm just sitting here like, Jesus everywhere on these pages. And so I'm going I'm to read you uh, Hebrews chapter 2.10 as we get into, the, into the, the third P, right? The third P, which is perfection. Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting that he, we're talking about Jesus, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Let me tell you something. Jesus himself was not exempt from the process, Right? Doesn't that give you trouble? Does that give you any trouble when it says Jesus had to be made perfect? Jesus had to be perfected. See, we don't like that. We don't like that idea that even Jesus 
had to go through a process in order to be perfected. And that word perfection means completed, right? It means consummated. It means the end stage of development of a thing, right? So different than, you know, we think perfection, it's kind of an ethereal, like, I don't know what we think, maybe butterflies on a field. I don't know what we think. Perfect. We, we have this idea, and it's probably different from person to person, but on the, in the Bible, it's maturity, right? It's, it's coming to a place of maturity. And so you've got promise. You've got this promise that, that, that enters you on a journey, right? I have a promise now. I have truth. I have objective truth that's been given to me about who I am and where I'm going. And then you have this process, and this process involves suffering, full stop, right? For everyone. There's nobody who gets to enter the kingdom without tribulation. We all have to go through suffering. And, and the idea is it's all moving us toward this place of perfection, right? That we may be fully used and fully complete in the development that the Lord has for us so we can be all that he had in his mind for us to be. Um, and then we have, if there's anybody who would have been exempt from the process, it would have been Jesus Christ, and he wasn't exempt from the process, which means let's be prepared, right? Let's be prepared that that process is our process, and it's everyone's process who's going to follow, who's going to carry their cross and follow Jesus. Now, also, this story is a type of the Christian walk, right? And that makes sense because as a Christian, we're a type of Christ, Right? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ is carrying out his destiny through each of us individually and through the church, amen? And so it makes sense that this would also be a story of the t uh, as a type of Christianity, and this is where we misunderstand the gospel, right? This is where so often we misunderstand the gospel when we think that we can have the promises without the process. Uh, Bonhoeffer, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about him. Uh, you guys familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a man who was martyred, martyred for the church? Um, martyred for the love of Christ uh, during the, the time of the Nazis. And, uh, and he would call that cheap grace, right? He had a term for this, right? And he saw it was rampant in the church at the time. Uh, you know, he, went to, he came to visit America and, you know, he spent time at American universities. And he has a quote, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but he said, he would go on Sunday mornings and visit multiple churches on a Sunday just looking to get filled up, like looking to get refreshed, like looking to get some of that word. And he was consistently disappointed, right? He was consistently disappointed because he said there was this very, very um, liberal movement of, within Christianity. And, and by liberal, I mean it was, it, was an under, it was it addressed itself. It called itself liberal Christianity. And what it, intent, what it said was, Essentially, that, that, the, that, that Christ is optional and the Bible is optional. But you can still be a Christian without Christ or the Bible because it was essentially uh, um, more of a social doctrine than a, a faith system. Does that make sense? And so he would go and he'd said, on, a, on any Sunday in this city, and this is in New York City, he said, any Sunday you can go to a church and you will hear a variety of things spoken of from the pulpit, but what you won't hear is Jesus Christ and the cross and the gospel. And he said that, and I just wept. And, you know, I, I'm reading the, I was reading the book, and I just, I'm just, I'm in my car, just uh, uncontrollable tears, because I'm like, you're so right about us, right? And yes, I'm talking about the culture at large, but I'm also talking about us, right? I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the ways that, that we don't take it seriously, 
You know, I'm talking about the ways in which we find it to be optional as it's convenient to us. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself, right? We've all been, we all deal with growing up in this culture and having this type of Christianity kind of fed to us, right? We've, we all grew up here. And so, so there's room for all of us to learn something new about what this thing means. But Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace, right? Cheap grace. You get the promises, but you don't go through the process, right? You like to talk about salvation, but you don't like to talk about repentance, right? Cheap grace. And so, so the idea is, and the thing that I'd like to root, like, like that I'd like to root out in myself and that I'd like us to root out by the grace of God is this idea that God owes us something, that God owes us a certain kind of life, that God owes us a certain level of comfort, that God owes us a certain level of convenience, and that if we don't get that, then he's wronged us. See, that is a fallacy. Yes, sir. That is not true. Because the truth is, for those of us who came to Christ and who came to Christianity through his spirit, in that moment, we signed away everything. Did we not? We signed away everything. Now, of course, we didn't understand what all that meant. I'm not saying that all of us entered into the faith with complete understanding of all that meant. Joseph didn't understand what it meant, what he was saying. He didn't understand, but he said, well, this is, you know, I'm going to say it. This is the truth. This is what God told me. Y'all going to bow down to me. I'm going to be above you. But had no idea what, that it was going to cost him everything. Like his home, his safety, his family, all of his kin, all the relationships he'd ever known. It cost him everything. And beloved, that's what it costs us. That is the cost. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read you uh let's see, as we're as I'm preparing to close. I'm going to come back on response time and, uh, and close a little more. But Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. One of the most convicting verses in the Bible. I'm going to read to you, so you're welcome in advance for that. <laughs> um, painful. I've been, I've been wrestling through it. I think it's, it's, it's we got to wrestle through it, right? It's one of those passages we've got to wrestle through. And it's one of those that we, we like to read over and then, and then try to find something else to think about. And so this is Luke 14, 25 through 27. It says, now great crowds accompanied him, that's Jesus. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus says. Now, that, that brings me up short. Does that bring anybody else up short in this room? Does that bring you up short? That Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to hate all these things that you love with the understanding, obviously, right, the scripture's constantly talking about how we're supposed to love our neighbors and love our families, right? 
It's constantly telling us that. So if you think that Jesus is telling you, go become an abuser in your household, you are completely missing the point of the passage. The point is, you love me so much that everything else is hate by comparison, that I am above everything else. And I'll give you an example of that, an illustration. So, so Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great example, um, was engaged in resistance against the Nazi church, which was a very dangerous thing to do. As the Nazis grew in power, they, they got to the point where they were, they were just killing you. If you. They were putting you in death camps, killing you. They were, they were destroying millions and millions of lives. And, and consistently, throughout his life, Dietrich Bonhoeffer kept choosing obedience over fear, right? He had a wonderful family, wonderful parents, wonderful brothers and sisters. And even towards, towards the time of his death, he was engaged to the love of his life to be married. And yet he continued to do the things, right? He continued to take the little steps that would ultimately lead to him being executed in a gallows. Do you understand? So for this man to be in prison for Christ, writing love letters to his fiance, you know, I hope I get out to be with you soon, is an example. Like most people would say, it's irresponsible if you have a family. It's irresponsible if you have a fiance. It's irresponsible for you to be engaged in this kind of activity. What, 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 what's going to happen to these people if, you're, if your brashness gets you killed, right? What's going to happen to these people? Are you even thinking about these people? And what that shows us is that's what it means to hate your mother and your father and your sister and your brother in your life. That's what it means, that when the time comes, we choose Jesus over the thing that society says we should choose or even our own feelings say we should choose. Amen? That's an example of it, of what it actually looks like to hate everything and to love Christ, right? And of course he loved these people, but he loved someone more than he loved these people. And I look at that and I think, Jesus, let that be me, right? Jesus, when the time comes for us, if it comes, because it doesn't come every generation, but if the time comes for us, that we're going to be the people who didn't buy into the Christianity that was given to us by the culture that we inherited kind of by, it, it's been on this path of, of just getting watered down for generations that, that we will be a people who say, no, we love Jesus more. And, 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 and we will, right? We will. Because I commend us into God's hands. We will by faith, not because I think any of us has that in us. But every, every, all these books that I'm reading, all these people I'm seeing, that when the time comes, they said yes to Jesus, they were regular people like us. They were just like us. But when the time came, the power was given and the choice was made. Amen? So I'm going to pray. Uh, I'd like the worship team to come on up. Father, I cry out to you, Lord, for myself and for these, for these people that I love, Lord God, for this particular community. And I just pray, Lord, that, that you would rid us of any semblance of the form of Christianity 
that would enable us to stand aside and say nothing or even be complicit when atrocities happen because that's the kind of Christianity that permeates this nation. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would cause us, Lord, to repent of it and to be purified of it and to be a people who are willing to give all for the name of Jesus, for all for the sake of Jesus, Lord God. And I trust that you will, Lord, because of your covenant. You know, Joseph didn't just choose his destiny. You wrote his destiny. You knew exactly what steps needed to be taken in his life for him to be made into the kind of man who could rise up and save his family and save his nation. And nothing was wasted, not a single shackle, not a single tear, not a single drop of blood was wasted. You did exactly what was necessary for him to become exactly who you had in mind for him to be. And it's the same for everybody in this room, Lord, because I know that there are many in this room that are suffering. Many of us who don't know why we're suffering. Many of us who don't know what to do with our suffering where to put it, how to categorize it. It seems somehow to be a contradiction to what we thought the Christian life should be. And I just pray that you would obliterate that in us, Father, and help us, Lord. Help us to see you above it all. Help us to see that you are good, that you are sovereign, and that you are righteous so that we can say, just as Joseph said, Lord, not in so many words, but that you are perfect in all of your ways. And that all of the things that we would change about our lives, one day we're going to look and we're going to say, I I see now. You were perfect and righteous in what you gave and what you took away from me. And it's one thing for me to say this right now from the pulpit. It's one thing for us to say it in prayer. But I pray, Lord God, that in the moment, in those moments of life, those moments of agony, those moments of anguish, those moments when we're crying out, when we're hurting so bad that we don't know up from down, that your word would hold us fast in that place to be able to know beyond knowing that you are good and that you are for us and that you are righteous and right in all that you do, Lord God. I pray for a revival, Lord God, of your people, for our hearts to be burning for you, Lord God, You know, as I, as I read that scripture, you know that I'm to love you more than I love my own life, that I'm to love you more than I love my precious babies, that I'm to love you more than I love my wife who is the love of my life. I, I see the gap between me and that ideal. I see the gap between me and that standard. And for anybody here who feels the same way, we commit that gap to you, Father, knowing that in due time, your process will bring us exactly where we need to be and that we are exactly who we need to be and that we are not to despair or to be hopeless because the God of angel armies is well able to conquer us like you conquered Jacob, to conquer us like you conquered Paul and to make good on your promises through your process and through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we together join, we join together right now, Lord. We join together as a body. 
and we worship you and we pray for, your, for a movement of your spirit in our hearts and in our lives from the youngest in this room to the oldest. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And I, I know this is a hard word in a lot of ways. You know, this is a, I won't ask for a show of hands, but this is, this is a hard word. This can be a hard thing to hear. And what I don't want, you know, one of the dangers of, of, of a word like this is, is people entering into condemnation, right? Which there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? If we, if we, if we come up short, then God's, God's answer to that is repentance, right? Like God's answer to that is, is to bring that to the Lord and to let him have it. You know, God's answer is, is not to, you know, I know for myself, I, I can be pretty legalistic and I can be pretty works driven. And I can, you know, I can hear a word like this and I can think, okay, I've got to fit, I better get myself together, right? I better make myself more like Bonhoeffer, right? So if you want to try that, okay, you'll learn a lesson. <laughs> um, but, but we are at the mercy of grace, right? We are, we are invited to come to the fountain. We are invited, uh, you know, there, there's a scripture that says, um, let's see, this is in Hebrews, and I don't know the exact, the exact verse, you can ask me later, but it says um, that, that Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the, the author and finisher, no, 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 that Jesus was tested at all points just as we are yet without sin, yes, right? Therefore, right? Therefore, because Jesus did that, because we don't have a high priest who can't empathize, sympathize with our weakness, therefore, let us come to the throne of grace, right? Because Jesus knows that we're dust, because Jesus knows what it's like to be weak, right? Because he knows, says, therefore, come to the throne of grace. What do you find there at the throne of grace? You find mercy. Mercy, do we need mercy? Yeah, you need mercy. You look at that standard long enough, you're going to know you need mercy and grace to help in time of need, right? And does he say, and I'll do that for you 70% of the time? No, man. That throne of grace is available to you 100% of the time. So my prayer is that that's where we go, right? Because there is a worldly sorrow that works death. There will be nothing productive from a worldly sorrow where we just beat ourselves up or just look at all of, you know, just just stare at our navels all day. And then there is a godly repentance, right? There's a godly sorrow that brings repentance. There's a godly sorrow that is productive. And so I want to encourage us that direction. And then I'll give you one last scripture. Uh, and this is unplanned. I'm going to do it from memory. Uh, this is 2 Peter 1.3. Wrapping it all up. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, how high did Jesus call us? To his own glory and excellence, by which he has given to us his precious and very great promises, right? So the role of promises, he's given us promises, that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature that's what God has for us, right? Through his promises, we become partakers 
of the divine nature. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery of ages and generations. Amen? Amen. Um, his very precious and very great promises, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And so, uh, so it's there that I will, uh, I, will, I will leave us to go into the different elements. Um, we've got the call to be born again. So if there's anybody in the room who has not been born again, right, who has not accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm here to tell you, count the cost, right? But I'm also here to tell you that it is that simple. It is that simple to say, I believe Jesus, right? I'm not telling you, uh, you, you can't come because you don't have complete knowledge. I am telling you it's going to cost you. I'm not preaching a gospel that doesn't come with a cost and that doesn't cost you everything. And yet and still, the access point is belief. Do you believe, right? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for your sins? And if you're ready to make that commitment with the understanding that it will cost you everything, then I say yes and amen. I'll pray with you. There are anybody in this room will pray with you with joy and rejoicing over you if that's something that the Lord is stirring up in you to do. Uh, call to repentance. You know, if it, you know I, I pressed on, I poked at American Christianity a little bit today. And if you're seeing that in you, if you're seeing any of this in you, any of those things that I talked about, then, uh, then I call you to repentance, right? I call you to bring it to, between you and your God. Confess. Cry out. Tell him you know you can't do any better, right? Tell him. Cry out to him for the grace to turn from your wicked ways. And then a call to giving, you know, for those who would sacrifice goods and money for the kingdom of God, not out of coercion, not because the pastor's over here saying you better do it, but out of a cheerful heart and a desire for God, then we have places to give on either side of the pulpit. Uh, nope, in the back. Somebody's got to teach a class for me on this. Uh, then a call to remembrance, right? The captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. And if you want to remember the captain of your salvation, if you want to take a moment to just, just be with him and to enter into the blood that was spilled and the flesh that was broken for your sake, then we have uh, communion on either side. And then finally, a call to prayer. You know me. I'm, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, if you've got any inclination that you should get prayer today, then go get prayer today, right? Let us be a people who are willing to step over that boundary of awkwardness, that boundary of pride that says, oh, I don't want to be seen as a person who's needy. Like whatever it is that stops you from getting prayer, I, pr I pray in the name of Jesus that you would step over that today. Tap somebody on the shoulder and, and say, pray with me, brother. Pray with me, sister. Um, we're going to have someone from the women's ministry over here. Oh, it's Rachel over here who's going to pray for you. If you would like to pray with a woman, then she'll pray for you. Um, I would love to pray for you. It would be my joy to pray for you. And then we're going to continue to worship.